Oh girl, you are in for a treat again. We are here to grow and learn together. So thank you for being here. Honestly, you're investing in yourself. This is like soul care every time you take a listen to the Wife Like Me podcast. So thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that because that's proactive. Hello, you're doing great. You're investing proactively into yourself and the health of your marriage and family. So just a big hug for me to you for doing that. My name is Amanda Davison. Just pumped that you're with us. This conversation is with counselor Michelle Niedert. Oh, ladies, she gives it to us raw and real. She's going to talk to us about oh, such good things, what to do when our husbands aren't spiritual leaders, what to do when we turn against each other, when we play the blame game. Oh, lots of stuff. It's so good. So take a listen. And then again, I'll share my thoughts when we're done. Michelle Nader, thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us. Um, here's what I wanted to talk about tonight is the most common complaints, issues, struggles that wives come in with when <laughs> they want to see you. And um, one of the things you shared with me um, as we were preparing for tonight, um, you said that this is a common complaint that, that women have, that women are struggling with is they will say, my husband isn't engaged with our marriage. I've lost respect for him and we've lost connection. Yeah. Um, how do we move forward in that? You know, what do you, what do you see and how do you walk with and work with a wife struggling with that? And, you know, I think this is such an important topic because it puts women on an emotional roller coaster. They've become attached in a marriage and especially Gobbins research says the most vulnerable time in the marriage is the first five to eight years when the first child appears. So we almost didn't even make it into that category because we were struggling with so much infertility. That, um, but, um, but yeah, as those, as those first couple of children come in and there's more, there's lots of baby holding and stuff, a lot of selfishness erupts because before when it was just us, it's pretty easy. There's more income usually choices get harder as more children arrive there, you know, you can't just go out when you want to and do what you want to. And you're not just leaving your spouse at home. Now you're leaving your spouse at home with work to be done. And so it becomes very difficult. And in the area we live in, couples have very interesting relationships. The research says that very often when mom and dad are working evenly in the home, mom is carrying 75% of the household responsibilities. Which is, you can imagine, many women are, even when they're working equally, they have equal salaries, they have equal number of hours, that that would grow old over time for someone, unless they are a saint like my mother. No, I'm kidding. Unless they just, you know, I, there are some women, though, who do want to have control over everything that's going on in the home. So they would rather have the responsibility so they can hold on to the control. So one of the first things I work with the wife on is, when he does take charge, do you micromanage what he does? Are you allowing him the freedom of doing it his way? And they don't like his way very often. They think he's lazy. He's feeding him fast food. He's not feeding him organic whole food that they cook. And, you know, I'm really like, if you want somebody else to be in charge, then, and you're not paying them, which is nice, like a babysitter, then even if it, you know, and this is another issue we deal with sometimes is like your mother-in-law, then you're going to have to allow them some freedom to do it their way. Yeah. And, yep. and a lot of times when that, like if I get him in too and we talk about that, I can engage him in the parenting more. Now, sometimes I can't. Sometimes I will tell you this. Men are some of the most untreated 
people in the world for depression. And especially mm-hmm. when they go through like middle age and life transitions or they've gone through grief. I have a lot of marriages at risk when a man leaves, loses his mother or his father because he will mm-hmm. go into his hole and grieve and disconnect from the family. And I'm not talking mm-hmm. about just her, but also the children. And so it is true that after a while, a woman feels like if she's doing it on her own, she might as well do it on her own. Mm-hmm. And so we talk about like having realistic expectations, but still asking for what you need. Right. Like oftentimes yeah. I know I used to be, that was a huge problem in our relationship. I was, I wanted, like you hit on also, I wanted my husband to step up um, and to do more, to take over, to, to help with the things. Yet I wanted it done my way. Yeah. And so it's such a, it's this like tension and this wrestling and we have to, we can't get angry with them for what we're not allowing them to do. So Gottman talks about this. When you ask for what you want, you're, you as a partner, and we cover this in our curriculum, you have a couple options. You can turn towards your partner and say, I hear you and I, I want to give that to you. And um, you can turn um, away from your partner and just kind of ignore them. You know, whether you do that kind of in a passive aggressive way or you say you're going to do it, you don't ever do it or something like that. Or what's really hard, and this is where we get into emotional abuse, you can turn your against your partner and say, well, you never do this. And you let's if you want to talk about the ice cream bowl, let's talk about this, this and this. And you kind of turn against them and you blame them in the process. And that's when you get into some severe toxicness um, and emotion focused couples therapy talks about that as well this blame game where it's never ending instead of okay we can talk about this in mind but first let's talk about the ice cream bowl let's solve that problem and then let's move on to the next problem in the process and I think that's a lot better Mm -hmm. approach yeah yeah that's so helpful that's so good how about this okay you touched you started talking about it if my husband um we can be frustrated our husband is not the spiritual leader of our home he's not stepping up he's not taking initiative I'm trying to let him lead. He's not. Um, or co-lead. There's no such thing. Like, I'm the only one leading our kids. I'm the only one um, leading in our home. What is? What do you say to her? Yeah. And, you know, that's really common. I work with a lot of couples, and one grew up in a faith-based home and has really been discipled, and one is newer or didn't have that experience. And so they do not have the same knowledge base or the wealth. Or maybe they don't have the same interest or like in our case, he's not always available for that in our home. So here's what I would say to that wife first. Um, and I think we see this so clearly in scripture when we talk, we look at the couple who like both of them, they like she didn't, she did not follow God either. And she kind of used her husband as an excuse and she got shot down too. I'm trying to think, I think it's like Priscilla and Aquila. That may be the couple that are missionaries though, but there's a, Paul talks about this in the new Testament. And basically we are all called to make disciples. And I believe disciple making starts at home and with our kids. And so I think it, that, that just, if our husband maybe not be spiritually, spiritually leading the family, I'm not even quite sure sometimes what that means other than he setting the example first and doing it first and teaching it as well. Then I still think we have a responsibility and we can do that without resentment. I think, cause we're still called to make disciples as wives okay. and to be involved with in our kids' spiritual yeah. lives. Um, yes, it would be ideal if son saw a spiritual leader, if daughters saw that and then, would be attracted to that. 
but this is not heaven. This is something we just deal with in our office all the time. This is earth. It is a broken place. Things don't work right here. We don't work right here. And so these kind of dynamics are going to exist. And so, and then let me say this too, in, at least in the area I live in, it's a pretty affluent area. And a lot of women work part-time or work out from the home and on a more part-time basis. And they have more responsibility for the kids. They also have more flexibility in their schedules and more freedom to go to a daytime Bible study or mm -hmm. to do something like that for themselves, where that husband who's working from seven o'clock in the morning till seven or eight at night, he's done. And if, and, and it, he wants to be a good father. Yeah. So he comes home and he's with his kids. He's a lot of them are not getting the same level of spiritual development that we women have opportunities for. And I think it's really unfair to hold that against them. Now, I always respect those men who make mm -hmm. that extra time and do that men's BSF one night a week or go to a men's breakfast or something like that. But I just say to a lot of women, that's the ideal. That's not the real. You know, that's an ideal that yep, some people yep. live towards, yep. but that is not the majority of this population. And we even, we're in a Christian school culture and we don't see it there even. So it, it does not exist always that yeah. way. And a lot of times they're comparing it to the man in the pulpit whose job is spiritual development. He gets paid to do that. And so it's very unfair to yeah. hold your spouse to that kind of standard. It's not realistic. He's sharing all these stories from their lives, but but sometimes I have to remind people like, that's his job. You know, your husband's got a whole nother job. Yeah. This guy knows nothing about engineering or accounting or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another common issue that you see wives coming in with, um, is this the fact or the feeling that I don't really want to have, I don't want to have sex with my husband. I'm not, a, I'm, I just don't want to. Um, can you speak into that? And, you know, how do you work with a wife when that's how she's feeling? Yeah. Okay. So the first thing I'm going to do is start with a sexual history for her. And let me tell you, it's tough. And we just lay it out on the table in our offices. When you've had better sex with someone before your husband, sometimes the marriage bed is hard. In fact, I've already told my daughter, that's, that's a bad deal. <laughs> Don't have sex before your husband and you'll think he's awesome, you know, because <laughs> you'll have nothing to compare it to. <laughs> and so <laughs> you will be naively positive about your sex relationship, you know, but, um, but it is tough when you have had, and, and this is reality. When people get really open and vulnerable, they talk about, um, I had a partner who was more gentle or more like was talented at a certain, I mean, I'm not going to go too far into this because there may be children around, you know, a certain sexual act that my spouse doesn't even want to perform on me. And I had easier times with orgasm in that relationship. And so I know I just said that. Okay. We're can't, we're moving on, but, um, but yeah, that's a reality. And so the first thing I'm going to look at is sexual history. I'm also going to look at sexual abuse history because if that has been left untreated, mm -hmm. then, <coughs> the marriage bed is going to have a lot more demons in it besides those two people. And that needs to be addressed mm -hmm. and worked through as well. If we've ruled that out, the next thing we're going to look at is how do I feel about myself? Um, because a lot of times sex begins here in the mind. And if I don't think I'm sexy, especially if I just like, 
why do they not tell us that when a baby drops out of us, we are not going to look like we did before the baby got in us? I don't understand that. Like, I, I, I don't understand. Like, when I will never forget after my first child, because I swelled up like crazy and I had high blood pressure, and I'm looking in the mirror in the wheelchair, in the elevator mirror, you know, coming out, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, the baby's gone. Why, why don't I look like the 22-year-old who's got the flat belly after the baby's gone? What, what did I do wrong? Did I not take the right prenatal vitamin did I do something really wrong with this and so a lot of women are we are visual people too and um you know sometimes we have a hard time getting over that ourselves that our bodies have changed and we don't feel mm -hmm. good in our own bodies so I a lot of times have to get into body image work when I'm dealing with the the sexual marital bed and low sex drive women the other thing I deal with a lot, and I'll give y'all a quick tool you can use, is there's this idea that there's a high sex drive and a low sex drive partner in every marriage. And, you know, if, if, if you don't have, like, so if you have two low drives, nobody's ever having sex, right? And then if you have two high drives, we're having daily sex. And then the average is, like, I'd like to have sex twice a month, and I'd like to have sex twice a week. <laughs> you know? And how do we find that middle ground between that? And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of options in the middle of that to work through and to work with. One thing we do a lot of times, though, is we play this game. We have couples play this game. We don't play it with them. But it's called What's Your Number? And basically, it's just, I mean, you could be at work, and he could be at work, and you could say, What's Your Number? Nobody's going to know what that means, except if you're a therapist child. One time, my husband said, What's Your Number? And I said, I'm a six. And he goes, I think I'm an eight. And my daughter's like, I think that's creepy. And I don't know what it means, but I don't think y'all should say that, you know? So I guess a therapist kid might figure it out. But beyond that, what's interesting about that is you catch people at different times of the day and night, you're going to find out that that low sex drive partner does have sexual desire at times. It just may not be at the time they're hitting the bedroom. It may come at different times of the day mm -hmm. because their energy is different. A lot of women are exhausted by the end of the day. And so mornings are better for them or an, a, after an afternoon nap is better for them and things like that. So the other thing I'm going to look at is her stress level because the higher the cortisol, the lower the sex drive. Mm -hmm. Also, we're going to look at, and I'm not a medical doctor, and I'm going to work with a medical doctor on this, but if we've got prescriptions that, that could be, like, the basic antidepressant, a lot of them will interfere with female sex drives. So, and they're better and newer out there. If you never heard of one called Trintelix, I'm not endorsing it, but it's just letting you know that they're continuing to make new ones, and you should be talking to your doctor if you've been on the same one forever. It's not really working, or it's lowering your sex drive. Mm. And now there's a swab. You can actually do a um, saliva swab. And it will, t it will use your genetic profile to see which psychotropic meds are more effective in your body or should be. And so a good psychiatrist will offer that to a patient. And that has been huge for us to be able to send them to a quality psychiatrist wow. and get that kind of information. So um, there are some things like that that definitely can affect sex drive as well. Some of those we can work around. Some of those are trouble. But I also tell them to be honest when sex is chemical bonding and if you haven't done it in a long time you're not going to feel mm -hmm. chemically bonded to that partner so some of this is a little bit of um and this is where I, we work with the partner too this partner wants this enthusiastic sex partner you know who's like woo, and they like sometimes will almost like harm the person a little bit because they are going to keep at it until that person responds 
And maybe just one partner needs to respond. There's a great um, secular book called For Each Other that just talks about sometimes, you know, both people don't always have to have an orgasm. And sometimes it's a good sexual experience if only one of them have and the other one doesn't beat the other one to death until they do too. That is not usually enjoyable for the other mm. partner on either side. And as we age, there is going to be more likely to be one more than the other who has that experience at any one time. And we need to be learn to be okay mm. with that and not feel like we failed as a partner. And I love the work. There's yeah. a really bad work in this book, but David Snarsh has done some great work with passionate marriage. It has the F word in it. I'm just saying it. If you can't handle that word, don't get that book. It's hard to read the, the audio CD is much better, but he talks about that sex should be more an expression of yourself than a validation of how your partner feels about you. And I think a lot of men and women are having sex, looking to feel loved, attractive, sexy, instead of bringing love, attractiveness, sex into the bedroom. And so that's a big mental shift I can begin to work on with a female too that a lot of times is really helpful because mm -hmm. if it's a little more about that and less about what he's kind of emanating, it, it can be really helpful as well to the process. So there's a lot you can do. Mm -hmm. And then we have to get into dynamics. Sometimes there has been a boundary, like maybe there was a type of sexual behavior that you said, I never want to do. And he crossed that boundary one time and that wife has never forgiven him. She's still mm -hmm. hurt by it especially if she's got abuse in her past, it's going to be a huge physical boundary violation. And that couple's got to work through that. Yeah. And okay. So sex starts in the brain. So there is a lot of sexual activity that can occur when somebody can't medically physically perform and you can still release the toxin with each other. There's manual stimulation. I'll use a very clinical term there. There are other ways that people can enjoy pleasure with one another. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Michelle, you will be back. All right. You will be back. <laughs> really, I appreciate you. Thank you. So good, wasn't it? Oh, one of the things that really stuck out to me from our conversation with Michelle is this idea that we cannot treat our marriage worse than we actually treat the vehicles we drive. I know that's weird, but just hang on for a second here. I mean, we, we take care of, we have to stop um, doing the typical driving to bring our car and to get oil changes. We have to stop driving it to get work done on it. We have to bring it in to stop driving it and actually get some maintenance done on it. Or what happens? What would happen if you just kept on driving and driving and driving your car? It would die. And the same thing goes for our marriage. I mean, this is proactive, proactive work that we do. That is what makes a marriage run well long-term. And that conversation is a reminder for me, and I hope it's a reminder for all of us, that marriage is maintenance. It's not a one-stop shop where we get married one day and then it's good. You know, we can't and shouldn't expect marriage to be easy or good after we get married when we have put no work into it. And work is not just going through the everyday motions and mundane. It's actually stopping, interrupting regular broadcasting to invest, to ask questions, to put our phones away. It, it, it requires maintenance. And that can be everyday, micro moments of everyday. It can be bigger things. But for me, it's just such a good reminder that that's what we're doing here. It's, it's proactive, preventative work on our souls 
for us and for our marriages, for our families. And so I hope that you love that. You can find all of Michelle's books and resources over at her website, michelleneedert.com. That's N-I-E-T-E-R-T. And we will link to her in the show notes. But ladies, thank you so much for listening. If you want to bring your faith and your marriage to a whole new level, if you want to grow, we would love for you to join us in the A Wife Like Me Collective. It is open through November at the founding member price. Honestly, because we're launching it with you, we're giving you the best deal. And as long as you remain a member, you'll have access to everything we put in there. Right now we have courses in there. We have Bible study groups. We have so many amazing speakers that come and speak every month. We have counselors in there, just like Michelle, doing Q&As with us. It is amazing, and so many of you are already in there. But I don't want you to miss out if you know of a wife or if you yourself want to grow in your faith and marriage. Please join us. Head over right now to the collective.awifelikeme.com. Again, that's collective.awifelikeme.com, and join us. Have a good day, ladies. We'll see you next week.